As we continue to worship the Lord uh, together, uh, as his people uh, gather together today, uh, we're going to open the scriptures this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians uh, for several months now, uh, and if you were uh, just now joining us, we're so glad you're here, uh, and hopefully uh, you will be able to uh, dive right in. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the young church at Ephesus, uh, and so it was, uh, it's a letter uh, that was read uh, as one letter out loud to the congregation. Uh, so for us to um, break it up over a series of months, we're trying to uh, connect the dots and see what God's Word has to say uh, to us today, for us, and um, how it applies to us. So as you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, let me pray for our time in the Word. Um, Father God in heaven, thank you uh, for this morning, the time to gather with your people as your people. God, we thank you for the joy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you've brought us here to sing praises to you over one another, reminding us of your goodness. And God, I pray as we continue to worship, as we've done so through music, through fellowship, through prayer and confession, God, that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us. God, that you would stir up our minds' attention and our hearts' affection to you. A God, that you would speak through the word that you've inspired and preserved for our benefit today. And that, God, by your Holy Spirit, you would transform us. Uh, that you would remind us of who we are in Christ and how we are to live in light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So, uh, Lord, we give you this time. We thank you for it. Pray that in all things you receive the glory, we receive the joy. And that the good news of Jesus would go forth from this place. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Uh, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Friends, our identity as beloved children of God is not a solo event. It is not something we do on our own, but it's something we experience together. Our identity as beloved children of God is not something that we can work for on our own, but it's something secured by God in Trinity. Right? Scripture teaches us that God is in three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is by this God who made us and who is redeeming us and transforming us that we find our identity and find how we are to live. And this is something we do together, relationally, in the context of community. As we've looked in Ephesians chapter 5, where we were last week, this is kind of a part two to last week's message. As we pick up in chapter 5, we see at the very beginning of chapter 5, the first couple verses, verses 1 and 2, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
We see that in that first couple verses, Scripture tells us that we are to be imitators of God because we are beloved children. We are beloved children of God the Father. Right? We know that we are beloved children of God the Father because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what Scripture teaches. So we have God the Father adopting us as beloved children. This happens because of the work of Jesus Christ, the Son, who gave himself up for us because he loved us. And because of that, we have a new identity. Scripture teaches us in today's verse, where we, uh, today's set of verses that we're looking at, that not only does God the Father adopt us as beloved children, and that's done because Jesus the Son loved us and gave himself, but, but there's a third person of the Trinity of God that acts on our behalf. And Scripture tells us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, teaches us that our identity as beloved children is something we don't do on our own, but it's something that God does on our behalf to secure this identity for us. The Trinity of God shows us that, that having a new identity as a beloved child is not a solo event. It's a relational thing that we do. Just as our God is relationally in three persons together, we too as beloved children live out this identity together. So over the next few minutes, what I want to do is look at these verses to see how we are apart from God's intervention. How we are to be because of Scripture's command and, and how we can't do this on our own. But we have to rely on the work of God and how we live this out together. All right, first we see that Scripture teaches us how we are. This is how all of us are apart from God's intervention. Look at the first couple of verses, verse 15 through 17. Scripture says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, those verses here give us a good, a good idea of what was going on at the church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul is writing this scripture, reminding this young church of who they are in Christ, who they've been called to be as Christians, as this new church community gathered together to live out the good news of Jesus. And he says, don't walk as unwise, but wise. He says that the days are evil, don't be foolish. You see, in the first century, the, the city of Ephesus was a, was a thriving city, thriving in commerce, uh, education, spirituality, great tradition. Uh, it, it was a, it was a uh, party town <laughs> and, and had a good economy. It was a great city. And so what happened is the first Christians in that city were having a hard time figuring out how to live this new identity as Christians in the midst of this city that was defined by tradition, defined by their spirituality, defined by their economy, defined by their education, defined by the good party in Ephesus, right? And he's saying, look, don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. The days are evil. And we look at Scripture, we see that the word foolish really means to be unconcerned. To be foolish means to be unconcerned with uh, what God has for you. It means to be unconcerned with the opportunities the Lord has given you, the, the relationships God has given you to live in, the, the, maybe the job God has given you, the uh, resources God has given you to steward, maybe the location that God has given you to, to live out. So to be foolish doesn't mean to be a complete moron. It just means to be unconcerned. 
unconcerned. It means to say, uh, for someone to say, God has given you this opportunity to make much of him and to experience great joy. And for you to say, no thanks, I like this over here. It means for God to say, I want you to live out your ultimate joy in the city of Ephesus as a new creation, a beloved child, and for one to say, you know what, Uh, I'd rather pursue uh, this commercial opportunity over here, this educational pursuit that may not honor you as much, Jesus. Or to say, all of these resources you've given me to steward, rather than to serve others with them, I'm going to squander them on myself in self-indulgence. This is what was going on in the first century church at Ephesus. And this is what happens to you and I today. Right? I would not quickly call anyone in this room a fool. But I will say there's been seasons in my own life where I am unconcerned with what God is doing. And maybe you find yourself in that boat whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. Maybe you find yourself thinking, you know what, I'm just unconcerned with the ultimate plan of God to, to save people and to restore community to himself and to bring renewal to the city in which I live. Maybe you're unconcerned with that. That's what biblical foolishness is. It's what we see in the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke who comes to the father and says, give me all of my inheritance because I want to go my own direction. I don't want a relationship with my father. I just want his stuff and I want to go party down in this other town. And you see that's exactly what happens in the story of the prodigal son. He lives very foolishly. He's unconcerned with his father. He's unconcerned with what his father has given him. He squanders everything in self-indulgence only to come back to his Gracious, forgiving Father. You see, foolishness is what patterns unwise living. Scripture says the days are evil. We can't live as unwise, foolish people, unconcerned with who God is and what He's up to in our midst, spending our time in selfish, self-indulgence, being discontent and destructive. I mean, if you look back in the prior verses in chapter 5, you see that this is... The, the pattern of what they were struggling with. Unwise, foolish living is characterized by sexual immorality and impurity, covetousness, foolish talk, filthy talk, crude joking, not being thankful, being unconcerned. This is something that we all struggle with as human beings. Being unconcerned with who God is and what He's up to in our midst. But Scripture tells us something different, right? Scripture says don't be unwise, don't be foolish. But verse 15 through 17 says look carefully how you should walk. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, those set of verses are powerful, I mean, what Scripture is telling us here is not only to not be unwise and not be foolish, like, like he's not only saying don't be unconcerned, but he's, he's teaching us how to be concerned, right? How to be wise. Look carefully means to show concern. So to look carefully how you live your life is the opposite of to be unconcerned. He says, he says be concerned with how you live your life. Walk in wisdom, 
Wisdom is not just intellectual knowledge. It is knowledge applied to life practically. The, the only way you can be wise is to live life. Like you can't gain wisdom without living life, right? He says, discern the will of the Lord. This means have all of your attention directed to what God is doing in our midst. So do you see the comparison here? Unwise, foolish living is unconcerned with God and what he's doing and and, and who he's working in and what he's doing in each other's lives. Just being totally self-indulgent and selfish. And he's saying, be wise. Apply this knowledge to life. Discern the will of the Lord. Tap into who God is and what he's up to in your midst. Because God is at work. And I love this statement. Making the best use of time. Now, I was reading this and studying this passage, and Ben Ritchie and I were sitting at the office. We're in our little corners doing our little work, and it had been silent for you know 30 minutes or whatever. And I read this, and I study what this word really means. It's actually like a smaller phrase in the New Testament Greek. Making the best use of time is the word redeem. Redemption. I mean, to live wise, not foolishly, to, to walk in wisdom, discerning the will of the Lord, is, is to make the best use of time to be tapped into redemption. The redemptive story of who God is and what he's doing to, to draw people to himself, to forgive sin, to restore brokenness, to, to heal sick, to lift up the downcast and downtrodden. That blew my mind. I was sitting there studying, I look over to Ben, I said, Ben, you know, making the best use of time is really the word redeem? I mean, redemption. And Ben reminded me of one of the best movies ever made. Goonies. Huh? If you know the epic saga from the 80s, The Goonies is a great movie, and you know that it's about a, a group of kids whose neighborhood is being purchased to be bulldozed over to make a golf course, apparently. And so they will all be scattered. Their friendships would be severed. They would all be sent to different schools and different neighborhoods. Their parents would have to find different work. And so they embark on this wonderful quest to look for treasure, one-eyed Willie's rich stuff. And if you know the story, go home and rent the movie Netflix. You should just purchase it, in all honesty. Blu-ray it. There's this great scene where they're going through these caverns underground in search of this buried treasure in hopes that they could find enough money to purchase their own neighborhood back so they don't have to be scattered, so they can have a home again. And they're down in this well, this fountain, there's water falling and there's money everywhere and they're picking up coins and this other dude named Troy is trying to rescue them out. And then Mikey... Samwise, right? Mikey gives this epic speech where he says, don't you realize the next time you see sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best stuff for us, but right now, they got to do what's right for them because it's their time. It's their time up there, but down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. And that's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. (laughs) You see, 
my dear friend Ben reminded me that this is a great illustration of what God has called us to do in the midst of evil days. We are to make the best use of time because this is our time down here, right? Troy's bucket is the easy way out. It's like, hey, tap into selfishness, tap into self-indulgence, be foolish, unconcerned with what God's doing down here, right? Let's just hop on the bucket and do whatever. Foolish, unwise, self-indulgent living. It's not how we're to be. Rather, we are to make the best use of time because it is our time down here. Redeem the time that God has given you. Live in wisdom. Walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Tap into the redemptive work that Christ is up to in our midst. Are you with me? So hopefully you're tracking and you're saying, all right, I don't want to be unwise. I want to be wise. I don't want to be foolish and unconcerned. I want to be concerned. I know the days are evil, but I want to make the best use of time. I want to tap into the redemptive plot that the Lord is laying out before this. So, so how can we do this? I mean, if Scripture commands us, I mean, it's a command. He says, look carefully how you walk. Not, not foolish, but, but wise. Discern the will of the Lord. Make the best use of time. So we read scripture and say, this is a command. We are to do this. We are to walk in wisdom. We are to walk making the best use of time. We are to understand the will of the Lord. How do we do that? Because if we, we can err on the side of riding up Troy's bucket, being unconcerned and just doing our own thing, but we can also err on the side of saying, I want to I wanna discern the will of the Lord. Therefore, I must... Do better. Try harder. Be more moral. Maybe, maybe get more education or maybe be more, uh, more of a servant or whatever. We can, we can make a list of things that we are to do in order to try to figure this out. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture gives us an explicit command to walk in wisdom, to make the best use of time, right? to, to discern the will of the Lord. So how do we do it? Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You want to walk in wisdom? You want to discern the will of the Lord? You want to redeem the time that God has given you to live on this earth? Be filled with the Spirit. You see, the command to look carefully how we walk in wisdom and understand the will of the Lord and to redeem the time we have hinges on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit, we cannot do those things. We just can't. In our attempts to be wise, we will really be foolish. In our attempts to discern the will of the Lord, we will find ourselves really just not discerning the will of the Lord and fooling ourselves to think that we are. You see, this is where God the Trinity converges in our hearts and our minds and our community as a church and our relationships to transform us to be beloved children of God the Father because Christ loved us and gave himself for us so that we can be imitators of God walking in wisdom, 
making the best use of time, redeeming our days within the will of God. Friends, the Holy Spirit, I mean, Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people. The Holy Spirit convicts our sin. The Holy Spirit gives us an understanding of Scripture because the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit inhabits our praise as we gather together to worship the Lord. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit seals our hearts for redemption, identifying us as God's children. This is who the Holy Spirit is, and this is what He does. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be fulfilled, to be complete, to be indwelled and sealed and marked by the Holy Spirit of God and empowered to live out the life he's called us to live. I mean, God does not give us a command without a way to fulfill that command. He just shows us the only way we can fulfill the command is to rely on him. He doesn't say, do better, be smarter, be wiser, redeem your days. No, he says, hey, you do that, here's how. The only way you can redeem your days on this earth is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it doesn't matter what kind of education you get, what kind of job you do, even how generous you are with your time and money. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you're not really redeeming the days. You're not really redeeming the time. So what are we to do? We look to God and say, all right, God, you are our Father. You have adopted us as beloved children. You have saved us because Christ loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice, as an offering. Therefore, the Holy Spirit fills us dwells in us and with us, empowering our obedience, giving us wisdom, giving us discernment. And we can discern the will of the Lord because we are walking in touch with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's good news, don't you think? I mean, that beats riding up Troy's bucket and living a life of self-indulgence, living a life of foolishness and unconcern. So what does this look like? I mean, hopefully you're here saying, well, dude, I want this. I mean, the command to be filled is not an active command. It's a passive command. It's like, be filled. It's like, receive a gift. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't take it. You can't grab it. You can't pursue it. You just have to receive it. You have to receive him, the Holy Spirit of God, who God promises Christ himself sends to be our comforter, our counselor, our wisdom, our strength. It's a promise from Christ himself in Scripture. So what does this look like for you and I today? Like We're together. This is something we don't do on our own. I mean, it's not a solo thing. Beloved children is plural, so it's not like you be a beloved child over there. You and the Holy Spirit just go for a walk. That's not it at all. Scripture is like, hey, you, children, all of us, together, the Holy Spirit dwells with us and in us. Scripture says as we gather to worship, the Holy Spirit dwells with us as we gather. So to receive the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, fulfilling us, completing us. He uses the debauchery and drunkenness for a reason. He's not like picking on drinking, but in Ephesus, it was a town where, where 
uh, wine was used in worship. I mean, wine was used in um, uh, cultural celebration. Like we use wine in worship here uh, in communion. You could tank the whole box of wine and it could mess you up, right? Uh, we use alcohol in celebrations. I went to a bluegrass festival yesterday. There was craft beer on tap. And the apostle here says, don't fill up with that. I mean, this is what I like about it. it is alcohol is such a great illustration. I think that's why the author uses it. Because but you can say, hey, alcohol can be used for foolish living, for unconcerned, just selfish, self-indulgent. Can it? It sure can. I saw, I saw a video this morning of a dude on a bike who was plastered and he couldn't even ride. But can alcohol also be used to, for religious purposes? It can be. And if those religious things are not saturated with the Holy Spirit of God, then really it's just a different form of foolishness, really. But if the Holy Spirit dwells with us and in us, I mean, that's what we want. We want to be drunk on the Spirit, so to speak, so filled, so overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God that it looks like this. Right? Verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be complete, be fulfilled, be overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> what happens if that happens? This. Verse 19, Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your hearts, giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, do you see the picture here? The beginning of chapter 5 gives us this dark picture of just sexual, drunken, foolish, filthy, just craziness. And as we get toward the end of chapter 5, the, the turning point, being filled with the Spirit, is the turning point where we see that our hearts are transformed to be worshipful and joyful, right? We don't come in here bickering. We're, we're worshipful. We're here worshiping the Lord who saved us, the Father that has adopted us, the Christ that loved us and gave himself up for us, the Holy Spirit who fills us. We come in here worshipful with joyful hearts. We come in here with thankful I mean, first of all, 19 is just awesome. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, I love that. Psalms. And we're just, we're just walking here and just start like rambling off, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, we just like walk up to each other and just start reciting psalms to each other. Right? We, hymns. We do that here. Come thou fount of every blessing. Spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord. With all your heart. I just, I just love that. As we gather together, the Spirit dwells with us. We are worshipful and joyful people. Verse 20, we are thankful people, giving thanks always. Not sometimes. Not when things are good. Not when you're in a mood to be thankful. Giving thanks always. I mean, I'm so thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the rain. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that the school smells like bleach. I'm thankful that we have a school to meet in. I'm thankful for bleach. Bleach, love it. I am thankful 
that we could gather together and experience the Lord together. We could worship together in joy. This is where it gets exciting. More exciting. It's always exciting. All of it's exciting. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Does that seem like a curveball to anybody? Because I think in our culture, the word submit can kind of throw us for a loop, right? You're like, hey, joyful, faithful, filled with the Spirit, submit. What? What? You mean submit. We're going to talk more about this next week when it comes to marriage and in the coming weeks when we talk about family and children and, and work ethic. Because the word, word submit here is a beautiful biblical word. And this is what I want us to see as we talk about being filled together with the Holy Spirit as we live out our identity together. Identity is not solo, it's community. Identity is not something we do on our own, but it's something we experience as the Holy Spirit works in all of us together. The word submit here is not forced subjugation. It is a voluntary relational cooperation. That's what the word submit means in Scripture. It doesn't mean forced subjugation like, boom, submit. No, it means voluntary relational cooperation. It's what you get when you get married. You, you, you have voluntary submission to one another. You, you figure out the relational dance of being husband and wife, right? It's a beautiful portrait that the Lord uses to teach us about himself. Because submission is a shared responsibility, honoring the Lord, benefiting each other. Real quick, I'll tell you this. Jesus submitted to his parents. Citizens are to submit. This is all what Scripture says. I'll post this on, online later if you want to see it. Look up the Scriptures. But Jesus submitted to his parents. Scripture says citizens should submit to the government. Scripture says that the universe submits to Christ, that Christ submits to the Father, that church members are to submit to leaders. Huh? Wives are to submit to husbands. Church, The churches submit to Christ. Servants are to submit to masters. And that Christians are to submit to God. So submission is a voluntary relational cooperation in which we experience the fullness of the Spirit working in and through us, in which we say, I feel great joy and thankfulness and worship. God is just erupting in my heart. I want to share that with you. And you could say, oh, well, I want to see this work, right? Or you can come up to me and say, man, God's teaching me a lot. I need you to submit to me and listen to my psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I, I want to just lay that out there for you. Are you tracking? It's like learning to dance where everybody has to learn the steps, but in so doing, we're reflecting our Trinitarian God because God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit are working together. Jesus the Son is God, but he submits to the will of the Father. Not forced subjugation, but voluntary relational that secures our redemption. So as we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit together, we reflect what God is doing in our midst. The Father who adopts us as beloved children of light. Christ the Son who redeems us by giving himself up for us because he loves us. We experience the Holy Spirit who fills us, giving us worshipful, joyful, thankful hearts so that together in mutual submission, in relationship together in community, we can walk together in wisdom, not in foolishness, but in wisdom, so that together we can discern the will of the Lord, so that together we can redeem the time God has for us. Are you tracking? We can't do this alone. 
Scripture doesn't tell us to do it alone. When Scripture says, look carefully then how you walk. Walk in wisdom. Make the best use of time. Discern the will of the Lord. That is instructed to a group of people who are submitting to one another. Huh? That is instructing a group of people that the Holy Spirit is just saturating and they're figuring it out together relationally, like just cooperating together so that the Spirit will give them thankful, joyful, worshipful hearts so that together they can walk in wisdom, so that together they can discern the will of the Lord, so that together they can discern what His will is so that we can make the best use of time. That's my hope and plea for us. I don't want to fill up individual brains with knowledge and then just send you out to be smart. I want us together submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ to discern the will of the Lord for us so that we can walk in wisdom, so that we can sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron, so that men in this room will be better men because we hang out with other men in this room and the Holy Spirit together are sharpening us. So that, so that women can grow in their womanhood as wives and moms, and, and, and so that our children can grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord because we are together cooperating and experience the Holy Spirit just soaking us so that we can make the best use of time. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be on my deathbed one day thinking, man, I lived a foolish life. Sure, I had lots of money, I had lots of education, blah, 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 but I just was unconcerned with God and what He was doing. Mm-mm. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit wrecks our hearts to be very concerned with who God is and what he's doing in our midst. In this room, in this church, in these families represented here, in the neighborhoods represented here, in the city that he's placed us to live. This is who we are. This is how we are to live. And this is my hope and prayer for Redemption Church, so aptly named. So over the next few minutes, we're going to have a time to respond, and this is what I'm going to ask of you. If you were in this room, uh, whether you were a Christian or not a Christian, if you were a believer or a skeptic, uh, there's something here for all of us because it's God's Word. All of us need to repent. That means to, to transform, to turn, to change And what this means is this act of the Holy Spirit who brings about repentance of our minds, attitudes, and our hearts, affections. We need to repent of unwise and foolish living. All of us do. Because it can be easy for us to identify the unwise, foolish guy that says, I'm going to take my daddy's money and I'm going to go gamble it. Okay, Sure, that's unwise, that's foolish, but it also can look a different way. I mean, even if your life is very well together and you're succeeding in business and family, foolishness means to be unconcerned with the work of the Lord, with the will of the Lord. And so as we read Scripture and we discern that the will of the Lord is that all people would come to repentance, that believers in this room would grow in Christ-likeness, that, that children in our midst would be loved on and nurtured, that neighborhoods in which we live will be well-served, that we would be encouraging each other to be good neighbors to our neighbors, Right? So I think all of us need to repent of being unconcerned from time to time. It's a good place to be, to be repenting. Okay? We also need to repent of trying to do things on our own, but rather turn to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who 
fills us. We need to believe and trust relationally in this God so that we can obey. If we want to live wise, discerning, redeeming lives, we can't do that on our own. And if you try, you need to repent. My hope and prayer is that we would turn to God and ask His Holy Spirit to fill us so that we would have joyful, worshipful, thankful hearts and that in so doing we would submit to one another and experience the Holy Spirit working in our midst. Man, how exciting that would be. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you uh, for a few minutes to look at your word. And and God, I pray that you would teach all of us. Uh, God, you would work in our hearts and minds constantly. God, that you would be convicting us of our sin, of our idols, the things that steal our mind's attention and heart's affection from you. God, that you would renew us, that you would restore us, that you would bring us to repentance so that we would turn and be transformed to look to you. God is a, is a father who loves us as your children. Jesus is the son who sacrificed um, and offered yourself so that we could be loved by God. And Holy Spirit is the one who dwells in us and with us and fills us so that we would experience great joy and thankfulness and worship and obedience so that we could relationally submit to one another in community and experience what God is up to. God, I pray that you would churn up all of our hearts and minds. Lord, that in the end we would know our identity in you. God, that we would be secure in our identity in you. That you would remove fear and replace it with joy. That you would remove isolation and replace it with relational connection. That you would remove foolishness and replace it with wisdom. That you would remove confusion and replace it with discernment. That you would remove unconcern and replace it with tapping into the redemptive plan of God to save souls, to restore brokenness, to heal sick, to do amazing things according to your word. God, I ask that you would do this by your spirit. And in Christ's name, amen.